Hello, and welcome back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, episode number 81, where we go back, back to, the, to past the past and read a comic book from the yesteryear of publishing. You can find us every Sunday on chrisandreggie.podbean.com or pick us up on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and after taking that left turn at Albuquerque. Mm. Mm, so this is an interesting one, Chris. Our... Uh, Christmas episode, our big Christmas episode, number 70 in the archives, where we did Christmas with the superheroes. Mm-hmm. We'd intended to do two comics that episode, as we were, yes. only you would recall. But uh, <laughs> after, after doing the one, after, uh, matter of fact, we even made it, it was even like a, a split second decision, wasn't it? But uh, Yes, it was. Uh, after, after recording the first one, we realized we had a, quite a long enough episode, so we cut this comic but now we're going to do it here christmas in march what is it chris it is indeed christmas in march it is the ambush bug stocking stuff at number one this is a cover date of february 1986 written by robert lauren fleming penciled by keith giffen inked by bob oxner i i, I was going to say oxner I, I, I everyone wants name. to i want to say yeah. that too but it's not it's oxner yeah it's Oxner. Uh, now colored by Anthony Tolan, lighted by John Costanza, with a cover by Giffen and Ox- uh, blah, 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 Bob O, uh, <laughs> edited by Julia Schwartz. Came with a cover price of $1.25 USD, $160 can, and $60p UK. That's right, but it wasn't. it is an oversized issue, so... It is indeed. Buckle in, folks. We're going to start off with our bios, as we usually do. Robert Lauren Fleming was born November 5th, 1956. Uh, we're going to say in America until we hear anything differently. Yeah. Uh, he worked for DC Comics initially as a proofreader and later as a writer, and according to some sources, for a brief time in the mailroom. Fleming said, I found out pretty quickly I was cut. it was kind of a closed shop, pretty hard to break in as a writer. It was really difficult to get a story sold. Editor Julie Schwartz told me to go home and not to think about any ideas. He told me twice in case I missed it. Uh, his first published comic story was String Out in House of Mystery number 316, that was May 1983. Then Robert and artist Trevor Von Eden created Thriller in 1983, not the album by Michael Jackson, but a comic book. Mm-hmm. Fleming recalled, when I finished the pitch, it took four uh, or five editors. They wouldn't even look at it, so I took it into Dick Giordano. This was jumping the chain of command. He read the thing, and 15 minutes later, he bought it. DC Vice President Paul Levitz vetted a few days later, and he signed off too. Fleming left the series as of its seventh issue due to difficulties with DC Editorial and Trevor Von Eden. Yeah, the uh, the, the book after he left got uh, a little bit uh, worse for the for the wear. Now uh, he and Keith Giffen produced two Ambush Bug Limited series in 1985 and 1986, and they would team up plenty of other times besides. They'd collaborate on an Aquaman one-shot special and limited series in 1989. In 1991, Fleming and Giffen collaborated on a Ragman limited series. The following year, the Fleming-Giffen team produced the Eclipso the Darkness Within miniseries with artist Bart Sears. The duo would reunite for 2008's Ambush Bug Year None. Uh, Fleming wrote for the Real Ghostbusters series produced by Deke Entertainment in 1986. Uh, Across the table, we've got Keith Giffen. Keith, I, Ian, I was going to say. Ian Giffen. <laughs> that's how we say it in Ireland. It would be Ian. That's, yeah. that's, uh, you say it that way in Ireland and in uh, Beverly Hills 9021. Okay. Uh, <laughs> now, Keith Ian Giffen was born November 30th, 1952 in Queens, New York. But in his first year, they moved to New Jersey, and that's where he was raised. 
During his brief time in Queens, he was held by a downstairs neighbor, Yankees pitcher and future Hall of Famer, Whitey Ford. Wow, and that's where he got his ability to draw. No, I'm only kidding. Uh, of his first exposure to comics in an interview with Jack Kirby collector number 29, Keith said, I remember exactly. My mother used to do tailoring work, sewing work for neighbors and friends. She was really handy and capable of cobbling things together out of patterns. So a lot of the women in the neighborhood would go over there and pay her to do what they couldn't do. And there was this one woman who worked at one of these, I don't know what they're called, but they were these big paper plants where all the comics came with the titles torn off to be destroyed. And she would just scoop handfuls up and bring them to my mother, and she would pass them on to me. The first comic book I remember, and a fan was kind enough to send me a copy, so I actually got it. I don't remember the number, but it was a world's finest issue. It was when Batwoman got Superman's powers. All I could remember about it for years was that I had this big green monster with Mickey Mouse gloves on the cover, and Batwoman zooming down. That was my first exposure to comics. That really stood out among the Archies and the various others. Now, Giffen was, was bitten by the comics bug, as he elaborated. I was an avid comic book collector. I tend to go after what I like. For a while, there was for a while there it was almost purely Marvel, because only Marvel was doing anything that was sparking my imagination and getting my attention. There were things, you know, the, Dick, the Neil Adams Dead Man and stuff, and Nick Cardi's Bat Lash, but there was some DC stuff for the most. But for the most part, it was Marvel. I loved the Towel books as well. Whatever sparked my interest. The first four or five issues are creepy. Keith Giffen started drawing when he was eight years old. He said, I decided I wanted to draw these strange things. His first published work was The Sword and the Star, a black and white story featured in Marvel Preview Number 4, January 1976 cover with writer Bill Mantlo. Yeah, Giffen says, I broke into comics by doing everything wrong. I was working as a hazardous material handler and took a week off and said, hey, I think I'll break into comics. So I just drew up a bunch of pictures and slapped them together. I figured, let me call up the companies and find out how you do this. I didn't want to start at the top. I wanted to start at the bottom. Didn't want Marvel. I didn't want Charlton. Atlas was publishing them. So I called Atlas, and the woman was so positive on the phone. Oh, yes, bring your portfolio. Absolutely. We'll take a look at it, blah, blah, blah. However, we're going out of business next week. <laughs> uh, I said, that's interesting. And after I hung up the phone with her, I thought maybe I should just take the bit in my teeth and start at the top and get turned down all the way down. Uh, just wind up someplace. Back, to, back then, the top was Marvel. So I call up Marvel. I don't know who the secretary was then, but it was not the most positive. Yeah, um, bring your portfolio in and they'll look at it and you can pick it up tomorrow. I was stupid enough. I go into New York and drop off the portfolio when I go home. Next day, I figure I'll go get it, and I thought, no, that's not a good idea. So I let a day go by, and rather than just go get it, I called. And the woman said, get in here now. So I go in, and she's yelling at me. She's really pissed off at me. It took a while for it to sink in that apparently Ed Hannigan, prior commitments had forced him off this backup strip in a black and white magazine called The Sword and the Star. And Bill Mantlo, who was the writer, happened to see my samples laying around and said, I like him. Why don't we get this guy? And they couldn't contact me because, like the genius I am, I dropped off my portfolio with my name on it, and that's it. No phone number, no address, no way to contact me. So they needed me yesterday, and that's pretty much how I got my start in comics. 
<laughs> now, uh, Giffen and Mantlo would uh, create Rocket Raccoon together right, in Marvel Preview Number 7. That was a summer 1976 issue. Uh, Keith Giffen was given the gig of drawing The Defenders. He penciled issues 42 through 54. This was over 76 through 77. Um, he didn't do uh, he didn't do very well. He says, <laughs> I think I made, a ball, I made a balls up with it. Everyone talks about Marvel didn't treat me good when I broke in. Well, I didn't treat Marvel good. Never on time, full of excuses. Just an a-hole kid off the street who thought he knew it all and didn't know anything. After the Defenders, I had to leave the industry for a while. I had to get slapped down. I had to lick the bottom of the cistern before I could pull myself back up and say, maybe guys like Carmine Infantino and Joe Cubitt and Joe Orlando and Paul Levitz and Early Cologne, and maybe those people have a point. I had to get beat up first. I had to get beat up to realize how lucky it had been to get a first crack right out the box. I made myself pay the dues that everyone talked about. Yeah, he go, goes on to think about these bumpy beginnings by saying, I didn't get steady work at all. I bounced around and eventually went over to D.C. where they wanted to give me steady work, but I was so stupid I blew myself out of the business. They had me working with Wallywood, and I didn't see the benefit of that. Talk about idiot. And so I left and bounced around with odd jobs. I sold Kirby vacuum cleaners door to door. Repossessed things. Then one day I just thought, I'm doodling these things on my own. I think I've gotten a little bit better. So I called Joe Orlando because I had screwed him over pretty bad and thought at least I owed Joe hanging up on me. I owe him that much. He said, come on in. You've been an a-hole, but we're going to put you on probation. You're going to learn this time. We'll put you on the ghost books. And I gradually worked my way up until I landed on Legion. Now Giffen elaborates later on in this interview, he says, I got back with Joe Orlando's help and did some Dr. Fate backups. It seemed to impress people enough that I was offered a job of doing backups on the Legion, which I never thought I'd do because I had really done Paul bad. Uh, when I was offered it with Mike Baugh, I sat down with Paul and we cleared the air. It was, it really, it's really to Paul's benefit. He really puts things behind him and said, let's see what we can do on this. I'm bringing Darkseid into the mix. Are you interested? And that just sold me. And Giffen is best known for his long runs illustrating and later writing the Legion of Superheroes title in the 1980s and 1990s. The story featuring Darkstar was certainly the Great Darkness Saga, which ran oh, Le yeah. Yeah, Legion of Superheroes Volume 2, 290 to 294, 1982. And that's the, definitely the best remembered Legion story of the 80s. In fact, I think for a long time... It was the only one that was collected in trade. Yeah, for a uh, long time, yeah. Uh, a Dr. Fate series of backup stories written by Martin Pascoe and drawn by Giffen appeared in The Flash, number 306 to 313. That was February to September 1982. And DC later collected Pascoe and Giffen stories into a three-issue limited series titled The Immortal Dr. Fate. That was January through March 1985. After successfully experimenting with his unorthodox brand of humor in the 1985 Legion of Substitute Heroes special, Giffen began employing this style in many of his works. Keith is one of several artists on Wonder Woman 300, that was February 83, and was one of the contributors to the DC Challenge Limited Series in 1986, and also, he did Ambush Bug Stocking Stuffer number one with uh, Fleming. Hey, let's hey. get right into <laughs> yeah. Ambush Bug Stocking Stuffer number one from 1986. Now on this, uh, the gags begin right on the cover, folks. Ambushbug is sitting in a giant stocking, overflowing with presents. He's wearing a Santa Claus suit, and there's a wreath around his right ankle. Upon closer inspection, the stocking is a gigantic Superman boot. Super Ambushbug sings, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday little swaddling infant, merry Christmas to you. 
Above the title reads, caution, do not open before Dece December 25th. And oh, we're breaking that rule today, huh? We're doing it right, well, or, we're, or after. <laughs> Don't do it, or we're very late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cover makes a few promises, says, uh, in this issue, the return of Cheeks the Toy Wonder. Also, the true meaning of Christmas. Special cover bonus, how to spell Hanukkah, and the second K is crossed out. <laughs> now, we open the, uh, the story proper here in a sandy, rocky desert. Francis the Horse Clopalong presents Ambush Bug in I Knew It I Knew I Should Have Taken That Left Toyn Back in Albuquerque. Uh, now asterisks point us to editor's captions to translate Toyn to turn and Albuquerque to Albuquerque. And yes, the editor in question is the legendary Julius Schwartz. Now the title card concludes with from the original story by Joseph Conrad. Now, Joseph Conrad was a Polish-British writer that lived between 1857 and 1924. It's regarded as one of the greatest novelists to write in the English language. Yeah, I'd like to know which of his stories this is extracted from, but I, well, <laughs> right. they, don't, they don't happen to say. He wrote about the Cheeks the Toy Wonder. Oh, that was his guy. Yeah, okay. yeah that yeah. was his character. <laughs> so now Ambush Bug pops into existence wearing an inflatable pool toy around his waist and sunglasses on his forehead. Carrying a beach umbrella that is clearly elated to be here. Uh, and he is very happy, yeah. It might be worth mentioning now that Ambush Bug wears a full-body green suit with antenna at all times. His thing is that he teleports from place to place. Uh, at one time, and we'll talk about this later, he used robotic bugs. But at this point, it was just wherever he wanted to be. Yes. Now, with lots of Yahoo and Yippee and Yeehaw, Ambushbug casts his umbrella aside and runs further into the desert, leaving a trail of dusty smoke in his wake. Clearly, he thinks he's at the beach. In a caption, we get some of his internal monologue. Ambushbug thinks, Some nights, the dream comes on strong and I'm back there again. Back in that sand. Back in that heat. It seems almost absurd now, but I went on there with big plans. My life up to that point had been a happy one, but my number finally came up. It was time for me to face the horrors of Vietnam. This then is the record of my service to the United States of America, or as we vets call it, Creepsville. An ambush bug is still running along the sand, past some giant ruined structure that looks awfully man-made. Eventually, Ambushbug ties out and falls into the sand. Wait just a cotton-picking minute. This ain't Pismo Beach. Ambushbug whips out a map. Let me see here. Gulf of Tonkin. My lie. This is it. Dien Ben Fu. Suddenly, a wild hookah appears. And it says, Hookah hi! Uh, hookah is actually the name of the of Atari Force's mascot who comes from a planet of technologically advanced beings that look like him. Uh, we assume they are also called hookahs, but maybe that's offensive. I don't, I don't know. It <laughs> uh, looks like a sort of like a naked Ernie from Sesame Street with a parrot's beak, right? That's basically <laughs> Kinda, yeah. <laughs> uh, try sleeping well after that one. First yeah. appeared in Atari Force number 3, 1982, and in the caption, Ambush Bug thinks to himself, I'll never forget that smell if I live to be a hundred. Charlie! Now Ambushbug runs away screaming, leaving his inflatable pool toy behind. Past some kind of a alien koala bear thing? I don't know what that yeah. was. Uh, the hookah addresses the pool toy. Hookah, friend? And the pool toy responds and says, Keep your filthy little hands to yourself. Burn. Now Ambushbug secures himself in a dark cave. Yeah, he thinks, I was petrified with fear until I remembered one crucial fact. 
The Vietnam War ended in 1975. The U.S. was defeated. As the loser, it's been subjected to countless Vietnam books, TV specials, feature films, plays, magazine articles. Wait a minute. Maybe this is America's second chance. Maybe I can do what thousands of brave soldiers couldn't. Maybe I can win the Vietnam War. And so, Ambush Bug, out of the panel. It was just what I've been looking for. A summer project. Now back to the hookah. He's uh, taking his leave of the uh, pool toy. He goes, hookah, bye, bye. And the pool toy says, good riddance to bad. And then there's an, a tremendous explosion that goes <laughs> kaboom and sends hookah flying. Hookah lands head first in a hole of some kind. Hookah mana droid? Duh. Okay. Uh, yes. Somehow, Ambush Bug <laughs> is driving a tank now, and the barrel is smoking. Ambush Bug says, I said, take that to Charlie and quit ringing the b -b -b bell. Ambush Bug hops out of the tank and presses forward, and we see from a reverse angle that there are hookahs hiding in some wreckage uh, that look ready to scrap with them. They're armed with a uh, cork pop rifle, a slingshot, and a water gun. Ambush Bug thinks, little do those bushwhacking Vietnam Kong know, I sent Giffen, Oxner, and Fleming to surprise him from behind. <laughs> they don't call me Ambush Bug for nothing. Suddenly, Hookah is beset by the creators. That would be uh, Keith Giffen and Robin Lauren Fleming, incidentally. Uh, Bob Oxner did the, did the inking. The Hookah addresses the reader, but really the creators, directly. Yeah, this is like that Chuck Jones directed Warner Brothers cartoon Duck Amuck from 1953. Mm -hmm. You know, the one Daffy Duck's put in a terrible He's situation. getting erased. Yeah. Right, he gets erased. He gets a flower drawn on his uh, waist, all kinds of things. Uh, and at the end, it's revealed Bugs Bunny has been messing with them all. Messing with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the hookah goes, why can I talk so clearly? And where have my friends gone? And Robert Lauren Fleming says, I'm Fleming, the writer. I just modified your speech pattern. Then who's that? That is Giffen, the artist. He just erased your friends. And a brush appears behind Hookah and paints a crude outer space background. And this is? Oxner the Inca. He's surrounding you with airless space. Hookah begins expanding to ridiculous proportions, eventually growing into a giant orange planet. Uh, this is the result of ebullism. Ebullism. Sorry. <laughs> ebullism. Uh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> which, which, in this case, would be the formation of nitro nitrogen gas bu bubbles in blood, which would make a body swell, but only to about twice its normal size. Uh, sure. This is a comic book, after all, people. Bob Oxner says, uh, Remember that Green Lantern cover with the exploding boy? Well, we've always wanted to do one of... No talking no in space, No talking in airless Bob. space, Bob. Uh, Bob would be talking about Green Lantern Volume 2, Number 162, March 1983 cover drawn by Keith Pollard. Sorry. Ambushbug, now dressed in a spacesuit, lands on the tremendous inflated hookah and plants an American flag right in its hide. <laughs> and there's a big pop. Of the hookah. Uh, we're addressed by a short, egg-shaped, bald man the next page in a gray suit with a stick pin in his tie. Yes, this is Dirk Mellon, and he says, Now hear this. I'm Mellon. Dirk Mellon of the Hookah Enter Defamation League. 
You either lay off my boy, or I eat your fingers like crab legs. But first, I break them. Next, I tear the skin off with my teeth, and then I scoop out your bone marrow. Okay, already, we'll try a different approach. And the next page begins with the title, 1001 Uses for a Dead Hookah. Ambush bug, ambush bug slaps a dead hookah at some buzzing flies. The caption reads, number 837, attracts flies and kills them. Cut to the exterior of some bathrooms labeled gents, ladies, and hookahs. And there's a voiceover and we can hear, my fingers, those comic book weirdos ate my darn fingers. And hookah, the original hookah, we think, uh, although I thought he might have popped, but, uh, <laughs> is splashing some water on his face in the hookah bathroom, though it does look like he's bathing in the toilet here. It does, and I don't, I don't know if his voice has been returned to normal, but uh, I guess we'll, uh, we'll go with. Uh, yeah, we'll, what <laughs> feels right. <laughs> Dirty rat and fratten, erase my friends, surround me with airless space, stick me with a flagpole, blow me up, kill flies with my face. Those rotten human beings, I'll get them. I'll get every last one of them if it's the ah oh, nuts. And the hookah is tucking on the hand towel. Looks like there aren't any left. This is all I need. Cheap, crummy, gift, Keith Giffen towel dispenser. And then Bob Oxner goes, that does it. Get him, boys. And a pencil and a pen nib appear and draw an ambush bug costume on hookah. And hookah teleports away with a pop. Pan out and it's ambush bug at the drawing table. All along. See, this really is like Duckamuck. Hey! <laughs> now, there are, there are some sticky notes around this cramped art studio. One of them says, call Roy, urgent. Then, call Roy, please. Then, damn it, will you call Roy already? Which, I'm, I'm guessing that's Roy Thomas, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Another one says, cancel Atari Force with number... We don't know. Yeah. Uh, there's also a Garfield poster on the wall. Well, that brightens the place up. It does. Uh, Ambushbug says... Well, so much for Atari Force. We'll tell the readers the sales went down. They always believe that. <laughs> you can hit the fridge now, but hurry back. The feature attraction's about to begin. Okay, let's go. Just follow the bouncing movie reel as it represents me, the ambush bug in Night of the Living Doll. And now we are outside a corner storefront on a snowy urban street. A window reads, A-Bug Enterprises, superheroes are specialty. Ambush Bug thinks uh, in mono internal monologue, I am a real sucker for Christmas. The Grinch, Rudolph, Charlie Brown, <laughs> the Santa on the Shaver, and the Yule Log, yeah. Ambush Bug is wearing a surgeon's coat and mask, sewing something we cannot see off panel. Hold still, and thinks, and what's Christmas without a turkey? He liked to help me choose the bird. <laughs> then we'd carry it home together. I miss you, Cheeky. Ambushbug takes off his surgeon's outfit and looks at a picture of Cheeks the Toy Wonder. Now, Cheeks the Toy Wonder was a doll that Ambushbug found in the first issue of his six-issue self-titled mini, that was June 1985, that he made his sidekick for the rest of the series. Ambushbug thinks I just can't let go. He took after me in that. Now, a cloudy flashback panel uh, shows a fleet of silhouetted bombers flying and dropping their payloads, and Cheeks is on one of the bombs. Let it go, Cheeks! Let go of that bomb! This is not how he died at the end of that miniseries. No, <laughs> now, as Ambushbug coughs away the smoky flashback panel, the doorbell makes a tingling. 
two wide-faced men, one named Fred and wearing a tuxedo, the other named Ed wearing a cowboy hat, enter Ambush Bug's office. It says, ah, we're witnesses, Mr. Bug. Jovial witnesses. We're happy as hell. And then Fred goes, and we like what we see. I gave it the office over there. <laughs> Have yourself some of our literature. Uh, Fred in the tuxedo piles a bunch of pamphlets on Ambush Bug with a whoosh of his hand. <laughs> and Ed is walking out with an armload of wrapped Christmas gifts, Fred right behind. These gifts should cover the cost of the pamphlets. Happy Ed. I'm tickled, Fred. Ambush Bug is reading the pamphlets from the bottom of the heap. Mm, it says here that your headquarters is in Leningrad. Caption says, several hours later. Hey, this is fascinating. I never know Robin Hood was a saint. Well, okay, you guys have convinced me. I'd like to make a small donation. Guys? Ambushbug peeks out between two pamphlets. <laughs> I knew I could wait him out. Then Ambushbug, out of there. Uh, the next panel shows four little fingers curled around a wastebasket filled with pamphlets. The floor is also covered in pamphlets. But just a moment. Who the heck is this? And from behind the garbage, a voice bubble emerges. Yes, it's a secret cheeks. <laughs> he goes, Dada? Yeah, but we pretty much know it's him. It's, it's yeah, you, know, you know, you know where <laughs> this is going, guys. Uh, <laughs> over to the exterior of a toy store called Toys Ain't Cheap. The panic store owner named Luigi is talking is talking to a couple of cops because his shop is in shambles. Plush dolls and animals are all over the floor, their cloth bodies torn to shreds. A poster on the wall reads, Don't feed the animals, they're already stuffed. <laughs> now Luigi goes, I'm a telling you, I'm in the back, I'm hearing a noise, I like a chewing. I Luigi, I'm a saying to myself, well, what are you, nuts? But then I see it with my own eyes, and I chill in my blood. And the cop says, uh, those those dolls, uh, they've been cannibalized. And, uh, and uh, that's uh, not all. Uh, somebody's uh, been eating them, uh, but uh, nobody's here, just a Luigi. I already locked the doors from the inside, so there's uh, no way for you to, how do they say, uh, break in, uh, because maybe they climbed in a hole in the window. Uh, that hole, she's, uh, she's uh, not big, big enough for, to let in a doll. And then at the Barnes Memorial Cemetery... Ambushbug is weeping over Cheeks's grave. Rest easy, proud warrior. I remain on the alert. Ever watchful for evil to rear its ugly head, or vice versa. And a fanboy addresses Ambushbug in a voiceover. Uh, Mr. Bug? Sharp as attack, on my toes, on the lookout, all eyes it is. My nose to the grindstone. Excuse me, Mr. Bug? Hey, uh, do you mind? This is private fanboy, huh? You think what? Uh, now, a tight panel of the grave shows what we've already seen earlier. Cheeks' grave is empty. Yes, now I can sense it too. Something not right here. I'll check it out in my memory file back at the bug cave. Ambushbug pops out of existence and reappears in his office to look at a picture of Cheeks' grave. In the picture, the gravesite is intact. Gee, everything looks in order. Other than the missing coffin, I can't detect a single change. Missing coffin! Just then, Ambushbug notices a crudely written note on his desk, which reads, Stop me before I eat again. While screaming, Mommy, Ambushbug runs down the street. 
At the police station, a curiously bloody autopsy reveals that all the wounds on the stuffed animals from Toys Ain't Cheap are bite marks. Yes, the coroner goes, I'm not positive, gentlemen, but we may be looking at the end of retelling as we know it. Uh, Over at Toys Ain't Cheap, from outside the store, we can hear the stirring within of electronic toys saying clank, 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 and B is for boy, and mama, and other increasingly and annoying things. Indeed. But first, how to write comic books, part 12. Oh, what's that? (laughs) Yes. Uh, These two pages are set up with a line-drawn figure against a white background to instruct about storytelling. Right, and the captions read throughout. Subtext made simple. After you've written comic books for 30 or 40 years, you may start to tire of the same old rock'em sock'em superhero formulas. You may even be tempted to insert some of your own personal feelings and opinions into your work. This need not single the end of your career in mainstream comics. Many, many superhero titles over the years have actually featured thinly disguised but philosophically complex material. Titles such as, uh, titles like, uh, like, uh, let me th- let me think. Uh... <laughs> so each instructive panel is illustrated to detail what the captions read. Meet Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown is on his way home from work. Mr. Brown works hard. See Mr. Green rob Mr. Brown. Mr. Green doesn't have a job. He doesn't work at all. See Mr. Green shoot Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown gave Mr. Green all his money, but Mr. Green shot him anyway. See Mr. Green run. Run, Mr. Green, run. Mr. Brown can't run. Mr. Brown is dead. Uh Uh-oh, the cops have caught Mr. Green. They're reading Mr. Green his rights. Mr. Green is entitled to a lawyer. Mr. Green can't pay for his lawyer, but that's okay. The lawyer teaches Mr. Green two new words. Mr. Green learns fast. The new words are plea bargain. Judge Gray hears Mr. Green's case. Mr. Green pleads guilty to robbery. Judge Gray accepts Mr. Green's guilty plea on the robbery and agrees to dismiss the murder charge. See Judge Gray. Judge Gray is very happy. He doesn't have to hear a lot of long, boring legal arguments. Judge Gray can go hit nine holes of golf. See Mr. Green's lawyer. He is very happy too. Now he doesn't have to spend any more time with the twisted maniac Mr. Green. See Mr. Green. He is happiest of all. Mr. Green has received a light sentence in a minimum security prison. Mr. Green has gotten away with murder. You can't see Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown is dead. Mr. Brown is the only one who isn't happy. The afterlife is nothing like Mr. Brown thought it would be. Oh, it's such a touching story. It is. Um, now, the last panel is in color, and it shows Ambush Bug in a white suit. In it, he's parodying uh, Steve Ditko's character, Mr. A, an embodiment of, oh, is it Ayn or Ann? It's Ayn. Okay, Ayn Randian, absolutism, that first appeared in Wally Wood's Wits End number 3 back in 1967. His motto was, A is A. Now, uh, there's Mr. A's trademark black and white card where the black side is marked evil and the white side is marked good. Another card sticks out of the side labeled Pittsburgh. <laughs> Ambush Bug <laughs> says, So remember, B is B, as I before E, but except after C. And T for two for you and me, Billy. 
<laughs> the next page is a parody cover from those old EC horror comics like Vault of Horror and Haunt, and Haunt of Fear. Uh, they're titled, Tales So Scary, You'll Break All Your Furniture. <laughs> now the sidebar reads, Choke! Uh, it's recommended for immature readers. Uh, the book has three hosts, just like the EC horror comics. There's Bob, uh, a uh, penis as Bob. Yeah. Uh, cheeks with one eye missing. And Jerry Mathers as the cleaver, in this case, some kind of samurai with a beehive on his head, right? Yeah. Uh, he keep, he's saying something in Japanese translated in the caption as, keep away from my robots. That, that's, uh, that's something that he is known to say. No uh, now, <laughs> now the, the cover shows a reverse angle on a terrified ambush bug, looking at a slightly open door that reveals a bunch of demonic and threatening toys. And he's saying, no, please, not that. Anything but that. Don't eat my teddy. And Bushbug is in a dark movie theater watching a zombie film festival. Movies playing seem to be Dawn of the Dead from 1978, Night of the Living Dead from 68, and Zombie from 1979, and uh, one or two unreadable titles on top of that. Uh, Ambushbug is horrified by what's on screen, and a patron in the row uh, in front of him is laughing. Look out! The zombies are right behind you! Oh, they got her! Oh! They're eating their elbows! And now they're, oh, I don't believe it. He thinks to himself, but Cheeks can't be a zombie. It can't be. Not my sweet little baby boy. He can't be a zomb. And we cut over to Toys Ain't Cheap. I'm telling you, the toys, are they coming to life? Uh... Luigi is being taken away by some men in white coats. It's a crazy, but true. I'm a talking to them. Hey, you dolls. I say, hey, what's the matter for you? Uh, I tell them, go lay down. It's a Christmas. Eh? I needed the cash. He's hustled into the back of an ambulance and driven away while some toys watch ominously. Now it's like a whole other strip. Nine panels depicting cheeks with an eye missing. Uh, seems he's a cannibal doll now, and he's looking for a meal. The strip even has a cute theme song whose lyrics are, Here he comes. Here he comes, that cute little cut-up called Cheeks the Toy Wonder. Captions tell the story. One cold and blustery day, Cheeks went out to play in the snow. He played hide-and-go-seek with Flatfoot, the friendly neighborhood cop. He played so hard that his tummy began to rumble. Then a copy of Who's Who fell out of a trash can and hit Cheeks on the head. Poor little Cheeks didn't know how to read, but he knew another doll when he saw one. Yummy, yummy, Cheeks said. Big doll. Now the next panel reveals that the doll in question is Brother Power the Geek. Cheeks decided he'd try to locate this large playmate. Brother Power the Geek is a character created by Joe Simon, and he uh, would debut in the first issue of his own title. That was in October 1968. He's a mannequin dressed in hippie rags, struck by lightning, and brought to life with super speed and strength. Yep, really. Wow, okay. Uh, and now, some Sugar and Spike. Just cut to it. Sugar and Spike, and two, <laughs> they're two babies who speak in baby language that adults cannot understand. They were created by Sheldon Mayer, and they debuted in Sugar and Spike number one. That was April, May 1956 cover, and ran for, 19, for, for 98 issues until 1971, which is a fact that always blows my mind whenever I see it. Uh, we did the second to last issue in episode 8 of the Cosmic Treadmill, which can be found in our archives. Uh, the strip begins with Sugar screaming because something grabbed her dolly and took it into the bushes. A crunch crunch sound is coming from a bush. 
And Spike goes, golly, Sugar, looks like something is eating your dolly. And Sugar says, don't even suggest that, doll boy. Within the bush, we hear or read a bop that clearly ambush bug has arrived. We don't see them, but uh, we hear and read their conversation. Yeah, ambush bug says, Cheeks, what have you done? Just look at you. What do you have to say for yourself, mister? Sorry, 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 sorry. Well, that's just not good enough. What am I supposed to tell those children about their doll? What? Well, okay. From the bush, they tell their lie. Cheeks goes, We have found a missing alien child, Captain. Earth girl mistook it for a doll. Uh, oh, doll, yum. Uh, uh, excellent, Mr. Spock. Now we can return the tiny wave to a grieving parents. Beam us up, Scotty. They pop away. The next page is a news segment about how zombie dolls have run rampant and are eating every other doll and apparently taking over news stations. Ambush Bug, watching the news, laments the loss of Cheeks the Toy Wonder. We see Cheeks with one eye outside, a doll's hand sticking out of his mouth as well. Uh, now a caption by Robert Learn Fleming details what some of us are thinking. Hey, wait a minute. Didn't Ambush Bug find his beloved sidekick? pinned the bushes on the previous page. And just how did Cheeks come back from the dead? And who turned him into a zombie? And how the heck are we going to fix this mess before Julie sees it? Hey, Keith, these bums are only hanging around to watch us get canned. To which Keith Giffen says, Well, we have it all figured out, so there. Back at the cemetery, we see more graves than before, some with names on them. Looks like one says Superman, and in parentheses, just kidding. And then Bruce <laughs> Wayne, in parentheses, caught you twice. And Kid Psycho, it's a character created by Otto Binder and George Papp, that would debut in Superboy number 125 from December 1965, who had recently died during Crisis on Infinite Earths. And then uh, Thriller is on another gravestone. That's the <laughs> aforementioned series by Robert Lauren Fleming and Trevor Von Eden which debuted with a cover date of November 83 and only ran for 12 issues, so five longer than after Fleming left. Yeah. Uh, a mobster and a woman named Johnny D.C. are traipsing around the cemetery. Johnny D.C. looks like the male Johnny D.C., which is the D.C. bullet logo with a cartoon head and stick figure arms and legs coming out of it. I almost can't believe I had to, like, describe that, Chris. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, yeah, it's really something you got to see. Uh, but anyway, Johnny the lady also wears a mortarboard cap. She goes, dig her up. And then uh, Creepax the Goom says, So that's Supergirl, huh? Cute. Very cute. But what's that gunk all over her? Oh, that's just Superman slobber. He doesn't cry too often, but when he does, watch out. Tears of steel, huh? Cute. Very cute. So who's next, lady? The hookah. Hmm. This one must be fairly recent. I never even got a memo on it. Uh, not to pick nits, but wouldn't it be a whole lot easier if you were to take care of this before they got buried? Look, I don't like it any more than you do, but it has to be done. As the keeper of the continuity, it's my job to verify every DC death. I've been backed up since crisis started. I hear you talking, Miss DC. Nobody, no death certificate, right? Quite correct, Creepex. Whew. That's far enough on this one. Better cover them cover up. Thanks. And they come over to Cheeks's open grave. Uh, this one too? Say, wouldn't it be easier if you just used a little bulldozer? 
the one you did the first grave with? Uh, I don't dare, Miss DC. The bulldozer got what they call radiated on my last job of the Three Mile Island. That's why I only used it on that verse grave. I hear radiation does some strange stuff to comic book people, even the dead ones. That's correct, Creepax, but aren't you afraid that you'll be affected by close contact with the machine? Ah, uh, never felt better. Now, who's next on the list? I'm very sorry, Creepax, but I'm afraid it's you. Your body's been disintegrating for weeks, and it's due to fall apart about now. There's several thud-thud-ka-thud-thud sound effects for an obvious off-screen disintegration. And Creepax says, cute. Very cute. Now, Guido Creepax is an Italian comics artist born Jul July 15th, 1933, best known for his comic strip Valentina. The Three Mile Island he's referring to was a nuclear accident that occurred on March 28th, 1969, when reactor number two of Three Mile Island nuclear gener generating station had a meltdown. And then around the DC universe, the phone is ringing. In Titan's Tower in New York City, at the Fortress of Solitude, deep within the Antarctic, at the Bat Cave in Gotham City. At a uh, mountain, maybe Nanda Perbat. Yeah, I don't know what that was. <laughs> uh, maybe <laughs> at the uh, modern HQ for the Legion of Superheroes, and also on whatever planet the hookah is from. Planet Hookah, probably? Probably. It seems to always go that way. <laughs> uh, at the Outsiders headquarters, the phone's also ringing. Metamorpho actually picks it up, but the caller hangs up on him for being too eager. At the old upended Rocket Legion of Superheroes headquarters from the Silver Age, the phone doesn't actually ring because no one paid the phone bill that month. And at the Justice League of America's top secret headquarters, the cleaning lady picks up. No heroes are there. No. And the Louisiana Bayou Swamp Thing's answering machine goes off. Hi. This is Swamp Thing. I'm not home right now, but please leave... A message at the sound of the beep, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. It's also ringing at the House of Amethyst in Gemworld. Also inside the haunted tank, uh, we guess in some World War II engagement. I mean, where else could it happen, but okay. <laughs> uh, and also on the square-shaped Bizarro world, it rings incessantly. Yes, Bizarro goes, I'm not that typical. The phone I'm always ringing when me am not in the shower. And finally, the phone rings in what looks to be Crypto's doghouse. So pretty, <laughs> pretty well wired over there. Uh, Ambush Bug says, the DC Universe, big deal. More help than this I could get from the Salvation Army? And he thinks to himself, ah, what do I expect? The age of the rugged individualist is over. Poor little Cheeks was the last of a dying breed. I'll never forget the time he sacrificed his life. To save the universe from the Sun Eater? What a party animal! That's not how he died either. <laughs> Ambush Bug <laughs> thinks to himself, <coughs> oh, Those flashbacks are killing me! On a snowy street, a red-haired woman is being stalked by an unseen menace. Caption reads, It's Christmas Eve. The night he comes. Lori Milner is late. She's been careless. Now she must take a shortcut to get home before he arrives. He comes in the night. And Lori goes, Who, who's there? I, I, uh, help me, please. S some, I, I can't believe no one will come help me. What's this world coming to if you can never find a cab when you want one? And Lori runs away. 
that she thinks to herself. I, I think I lost them. I'm, I'm safe. I'm out of danger. In which case, it can't hurt to take another shortcut down this dark, scaly, scary alleyway. And she does just that. Because she's dumb. <laughs> no, no, not that. Please, I'll give you anything. Anything but that. Lori Milner's Christmas is ruined. The next morning, when her young daughter Dottie wakes up and finds no teddy under the tree, she slips into a coma and lives out the rest of her days on a life support machine. Same thing happened to my aunt. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> we see this teddy bear slipping behind a corner and being eaten with some loud crunching sounds. Lori's husband divorces Lori and joins the National Rifle Association. He is shot to death by a lobbyist for gun control. Lori turns to light opera and is never heard from again. Again, the cheeks jingle. Here he comes, here he comes, that cute little cut-up called Cheeks the Toy Wonder. Cheeks finds himself appointed the leader of the zombie dolls. Cheeks continued the search for his oversized playmate. Soon, it started to get dark. And even worse than that, poor little Cheeks thought he heard menacing noises coming up behind him. He did. He did. He did hear menacing noises coming up behind him. The silent dolls looked very similar to Cheeks, familiar to Cheeks, but he couldn't place them. He asked if any of them had possibly been skiing in Aspen that past January. None of the dolls had, but they did bring forth a present that they had all chipped in on. It was a very special present. It was called a pagan sacrifice. The dolls toss a limp other doll on the ground before Cheeks. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cheeks told them that they really shouldn't have. You are our king, they proclaimed. It was extremely flattering. You are the greatest living doll, they told him. They went on at length, listing his virtues. Cheeks tried to be humble, but it was impossible. He ate it up. The end. Lots of crunching from behind a corner while he eats the pagan sacrifice. Uh, the, our next page uh, opens with a blank panel, and the writer is yawning in it. Yeah, Julia, I don't mind telling you I am glad this issue is over. Looking back on it, though, I think we did a pretty fine piece of work. Yep, a pretty fine... What? Forty pages? The final panel in this sequence is an expletive obscured by a card which advertises that friendly island in the sea, Japan, an audiovisual aid for grades 6 through 12 to be used with post-war textbooks only. For earlier text, see Land of Stinkers. Uh, now the rest of this page is a manga satire of Ambush Bug being chased around by the editor, Julia Schwartz, to not to uh, complete the book. No, 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 no. I can't do it. Please, Julie, don't make me do 40 pages. Julie goes, you gotta do it. It's in your contract. Julie Schwartz turns into a tank with his head on top and chases Ambush Bug while shooting at him. But we can't possibly be funny for 40 pages. You quitter, my jokes aren't funny and I've been around for more than 40 years. The next page is a very weird pastiche of dialogue balloons and a bearded man in a Santa Claus suit, but not Santa Claus. Standing before a Christmas tree. Seems it's a phony conversation between DC Comics' marketing department about how to advertise this book. And we'll do our best here. Right. Uh, first guy, Peabody. <coughs> Sir, I am Peabody of Peabody, Dicker, and Pending. 
Dicker goes, That's funny. I could have sworn you were Mr. French from Family Affair. Quiet, Dicker. We are here to dis- today to discuss our new advertising approach to the ambush bug stocking stuffer. Why don't we just cancel the book? Then we won't have to advertise it at all. I'm afraid that's quite impossible, Dicker. Our client, Ambush Bug, is extremely popular, and his miniseries sold like hotcakes. We have to produce the book. Do you have something to add, Pending? Pending goes, well, uh, yeah. Couldn't we just sort of take our time by putting the book out? You know, like Ronin or Camelot 3000? And we could tell the fans we were just taking our time to do it right. End of problem. Very creative, Pending, but that's out too, I'm afraid. You see, Giffen and Fleming have already finished the book well ahead of schedule. Bless them! Exactly. But there it is, so what are we going to do about it? Are they under contract? No! Bless them! Let's just think about our advertising approach. This is going to be a very special book, and also a holiday issue. So, so what, 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 what if we say the, the book found a large audience, but it was the uh, wrong audience? What if we make Giffen and Fleming go back and redo this page, really rile them up? And Pending goes, wait, I've got it, I've got it. Let's advertise the book like crazy. Let's try to attract a whole new audience for it. Let's place ads in the college newspapers and rock ma- magazines and in the New York Times. But why the sudden heart change of heart, Pending? Well, we already have the advanced sales orders on the book, right? Right. And the sales are incredibly high, right? Right. So we'll push the book like crazy and then take the credit for the magnificent sales. I think this calls for a toast to the true creators of Ambush Bug. To To us! us! And now Ambush Bug presents season's greetings from around the world and beyond. Here's six panels of Ambush Bug drawn in different comic styles. From England, in sort of a gritty style reminiscent of David Lloyd, this one wishes us a very, very, very Merry Christmas. From Fats, it's a more a plainer, more Mobius-inspired design. From Spain, a really round-faced Ambush Bug. I'm sure this is reminiscent of a specific style, but we couldn't uh, tell you what, what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it says, TV? Is TV? I am TV stars, Yes. Dynasty? Mr. Ed? <laughs> from Japan, <laughs> it's the same manga-inspired cute ambush bug from before. He says... <laughs> I'm glad you're doing this one. <laughs> Merry Christmas, America! And then thinks to himself, Hey, I know the accent is insulting, but guess who built your VCR, bucko? From the Soviet Union, a blank panel. A word balloon comes from off-panel, just muffled screaming. And from Krypton, a bunch of floating kryptonite and a torn note that reads... Joyu Jorel. <laughs> now the next page is the first annual fanboy press press uh, why not the best popularity poll. Ambush Bug is there wearing a Santa suit and encircled by a wreath. Remember, don't just choose the best. Instead, put down your favorite choices in each category, even if they stink. <laughs> and the categories read favorite writer, favorite penciler, favorite anchor, favorite colorist, favorite editor, best man. Matron of Honor, favorite word starting with the letter Q, favorite indicia, favorite comic book, favorite comic book with the initials AB, favorite comic book character, favorite comic book character with the bug in his name, favorite liberated female character, favorite bod on a liberated female <laughs> character, the capital of Wisconsin, favorite Keith Giffen plot, favorite Keith Giffen pencils, favorite Robert Lauren Fleming balloons, favorite Bob Oxner inks. 
Favorite Anthony Tolan colors. Favorite Julius Schwartz favoritism. Favorite method of hiding the credits in a comic book. Favorite paper stock in a Mondo book. <laughs> Favorite comic book company. Favorite other comic book company. Favorite superhero team. Favorite mutant. Favorite universal product code on a comic book. Favorite cover not drawn by John Byrne or George Perez. Favorite 15 Secret Wars tie-ins. Favorite editor-in-chief of a major comic book company. Favorite shorter, fatter editor-in-chief of a major comic company. Favorite Day in the Life of Dick Meanwhile com column. Favorite letterer, and this one is filled out in huge letterers, John Costanza, damn it. <laughs> and it says, if you answered yes to all the above questions, whew. <laughs> now next is par a parody of a house ad for a comic that we hope will never be made. Caption reads, he's through listing. Let the naughty beware. Santa. And that's a very angry-looking Santa with upswept hair and a beard. He's muscular and wearing a skin-tight red and white uniform. They should never have called him Muty. Fresh from his milestone appearance in New Teen Titans Annual Number 8. And Rudolph says, Santa, with my nose so bright, can I glide your sleigh tonight? Shut up. I'm sick, and, sick of milk and cookies. I'm sick of the North Pole. So what's up, your chimneys? Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Another all-original concept from the new DC. No stopping them now. <laughs> um, now uh, we get a two-page spread parodying Saturday morning cartoons, which uh, for kids listening, those aren't a thing anymore, but uh, they used to be cartoons on Saturday morning. And it was like the reason for living, you know, to wake yeah, up you... and catch them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we open on a commercial, which are were arguably the best parts of Saturday morning. <laughs> to tell you what to buy. A monster truck toy is shown riding along its own instructions. A voiceover goes, Kids, the ultimate in transformative robotics, the KF-32T Kawa Robot. After you devote four and a half hours to the instructions, it'll turn two. And it's now a hideous monster doing homework. Form one! It'll do your homework and scare the devil out of your parents. And then it turns into an ominous-looking robot. Form two! It's hands in your homework and scares the devil out of your teacher. And now, back to the show, where it looks like an overly muscular ambush bug and two other nameless heroes are up against a villain named Ding Dong the Sing Song Man. Uh, he sings a lot. He's appropriately named that. Yeah. Uh, now, one of the heroes threatens to zap the sing-song man, but while he's being zapped, ambush bug allies our fears. See, friends, in TV land, we must give the appearance of violence without any violence of all at all. Ding Dong will walk away from this special effects onslaught without a scratch. In the next panel, Ding Dong has been burnt to ash. And now, another commercial break. This one's for gummy breakfast cereal, bubblegum, and eucalyptus flavor. <laughs> Voiceover says, <laughs> Kids, the ultimate sugar-coated cardboard non-nutritive cereals. Kid goes, Hi, guys. Win a free prize. England. Details inside. And another child says, Mom, can I put Coke in my gummy instead of milk? Yet another kid is at the table with his parents, and he pulls out a prize from the cereal. Mom, Dad, I won England. Can I play with it? The father goes, finish your gummies first, sport. Kids, this could be you. Back to the cartoon. A pile of ash that was Ding Dong is still singing. Ambush Bug sweeps him into a dustpan. 
There you are, Mr. and Mrs. America. Ding dong, the sing-song man is okay, okay. All right. A piece of ash to the side calls out to Ambush Bug. That's Jut Bug. I'm over here. And another commercial break. But instead, it's an explanation by Ambush Bug. Anyway, folks, that's what you won't be seeing on Saturday morning TV. My thanks to Ernie Cologne for writing and drawing the previous two pages, while Given and Fleming stood online at Toys Ain't Cheap, waiting to buy the new KF32T Koa robot. Eesh. <laughs> On another snowy urban street, Ambush Bug is selling roasted dolls. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. Get your roasted dolls right here, folks. Get them while they're hot. Get your roasted, your roasted, your. Now that I think about it, this really is kind of sick. I never would have done it on the first 24 pages. Oh, this is really disgraceful. Now, remembering the time cheeks became dark cheeks and no, no, I can't. I won't pander to the X fans. Not even in a. We see a flashback panel of cheeks as dark cheeks exploding from within. Which never actually happened. Yeah. Uh, Ambush Bug's guardian angel shows up, and surprise, he's a drunken hobo. (laughs) The angel goes, this guy is pathetic. He's boring me to tears. I guess as his guardian angel, it's up to me to get this plot moving. I told him not to go 40 pages. Uh, The guardian angel drops a slip of paper on the floor and spills some liquor on it. Ambush Bug says, if only <coughs> I can find Cheeks, it's no use. <coughs> He's nowhere to be found. Ambush Bug picks up the slip of paper, which reads, He's hiding in the bushes on page 19, you jerk. Page 19? Hey, great. That's back in the funny part of the book. <laughs> Ambush Bug pops away. And in that self-same moment, Johnny DC and Curlos in underwear wakes up in her apartment with a start. She goes, oh, oh no, oh no. He, he, he couldn't have, wouldn't have. What am I saying? Of course he would, of course he would. He's the only hero in the DC universe who can get away with breaking the prime directive. Always go forward in a comic book. Ambush Bug has gone back to page 19. I'd better assess the damage. So Johnny DC begins pouring through a heap of comic books. Let's see now. Action, All-Star Squadron, Alpha Flight, Iraq, Alpha Flight. Here here it is. Ambush Bug Stocking Stuffer. Oh my god. By going back to page 19, he's voiced pages 20, 22, 23, 24, and 32. This is definitely a job for Johnny DC, continuity cop. And she transformed to the more familiar DC bullet logo body. Bug, this means war. So then there's a logo reminiscent of the one for Crisis and Infinite Earths, but it contains a globe, a donut, a water balloon instead of a series of planets. And it reads, Crisis, the only, on the only planet we're allowed to use. <laughs> Next is a splash page featuring a close-up of one-eyed Cheek's face. Daddy, Daddy, why'd you do this to me, Daddy? It's no use, pal. You're not fooling me for a second. You're not my little Cheeks. I know who you are. And the first panel on the next page pans out and shows Cheeks is tied to the headboard of a bed. Your mother darn socks in hell! You're not gonna beat me, and I'll tell you why. Because I love that little guy. 
Because we share good times and bad? Because love is the strongest force in the universe? Because my true feelings? Cheeks barfs a bunch of sawdust all over Ambush Bug. So Ambush Bug sets giving us exorcism, forcing Cheeks to watch the Gilligan's Island theme song, which seems to have more instances of the word fright than I remembered. That, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of fright there. <laughs> uh, then Johnny's DC shows up. Close it down, guys. This storyline is suspended pending a hearing in continuity court. You too, Giffen. Put the pencil down. And Johnny DC addresses Ambush Bug directly. You any idea the kind of damage you've caused? Well, uh, I, uh... This isn't your playground, mister. There are rules here. But this is a comic book. Isn't it supposed to be fun? 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 I'll give you fun. Take over my job for a day and see how much fun that is. Now, according to this plot, you were supposed to cut to, from the street vendor scene on page 32 directly to Santa's workshop sketch. This time, do it right. And don't have any fun either. Johnny DC rolls away the background and kind of rolls in a new one. Take out this cheesy, cheesy office set, Giffen, and bring in the North Pole set. Better. Now see if you can take it from here on your own. And remember, I'm watching you. I better not have to come back up here. And Johnny DC leaves in a huff. Ambushbug says, well, okay. So here I am in Santa's workshop and I'm in big trouble. Because she forgot to leave me that plot! And the uh, Robert Lauren Fleming says, You're supposed to tell out Santa. Santa. Is anyone home? Oh, thanks, Flem. Santa. Santa. Is anybody home? And then you go over to the door and you say, Golly. It sure looks like snow. Right? This is getting good. Ambushbug strolls over to the door, opens it, and yells, Golly, it sure looks like snow. A clump of snow falls on him with a humph. Robert Lauren Fleming cracks up laughing. Ambushbug winds up back in his apartment very sick. He's got a blanket wrapped around him and his feet in a tub of hot water, and he's sneezing a lot. Have you ever put your feet in a tub of hot water when you were sick? Is it, no, but I, I think I'm thing? supposed to, right? I, I, it seems like, or you put an ice bag on your head. One of the two. Yeah. <laughs> feet, feet in the hot water and ice on the head. I think that's the, uh, the, the thinking. Anyway, ambush bug sneezes. <laughs> Achoo! Gesundheit! I'm not talking to you guys. You've wrecked my Christmas. But, but bug, bug, you'd you better, better. What? I'd better what? Fall out of an airplane? Would that amuse you? The room begins filling with smoke. Oh, great. <coughs> Another flashback. <coughs> I wasn't even thinking about cheeks. You guys <coughs> are trying to <coughs> torture me. What are you going to do to me <coughs> next? Huh? What are you going to do next? On the very next page, Ambush Bug's home has burnt down. I don't believe it. They burned my building down. I always thought those guys really liked me. You work side by side with people five days a week, 52 weeks a year, year in and year out, and you think you know them, but they're strangers. Total strangers. 
I thought the world of those guys. Oh, well, just because Keith Giffen and Robert Lauren Fleming are stinkers, I'm not going to let it spoil my Christmas. Not much, I'm not. Cheeks falls into the snow behind Ambush Bug with a whomph. Hey, hey get, get back, back here, here, you clown. We've we got have a, a surprise, surprise for you. Oh, uh, surprise. But you couldn't have. This can't be. Indeed, Cheeks has been fully restored with both eyes and presumably cured of his cannibalistic zombie tendencies. Yeah, I would assume that. Uh, <laughs> they both say, Merry Christmas, Ambush Bug. And Ambush Bug says, Yeah, wait till I get you home, young man. You gave your daddy an awful scare. Oh, by the way, the house burned down while you were gone. No, don't worry, daddy's okay. Overhead, there's a silhouette of Santa Claus's sleigh streaking through the sky. And Elf goes, Santa, we just dropped one of those chubby cheek stalls. <laughs> Don't worry about it, Elf. I have 30 cases of them back at the workshop. <laughs> Nearby, the zombie dolls are still prowling the dark alleyways. Until Johnny DC shows up and herds them all away. Oh, no, you don't. Get out of this book. You're no longer part of DC continuity. And not far away, well, far away, but not too far away. I mean, it's not a distant galaxy or anything, but you'd probably want to take a cab. A purple-gloved hand holds an invitation to a class reunion. The invitation reads, Dear alumnus, you are most cordially invited to attend the reunion of the of member of a class of 1982. The invited person is the Joker. He goes, Oh, how delightful! A chance to reacquaint myself with all my old classmates. <laughs> Particularly one Erwin Schwab. <laughs> I have to score to settle with that crazy ambush bug. <laughs> Caption reads, How about that, readers? Can ambush bug stand up to the Joker's playful plan? Will Cheeks the Toy Wonder swing back into action? Can continuity be established in a comic book that's fun to read? Stay tuned. Same buggy format. Same buggy comic book. Same buggy. And finally, the true meaning of Christmas. On a very special night, a little child was delivered. A gift from above. He was an exceptional child, and he was loved by everyone who saw him. His father had no job and no roof to put over his baby's head. But none of this mattered, because they were together and they were happy. They would go through good times, and they would go through bad. But the love of that father and that child would always triumph, because it was selfless and pure. Off-panel, Ambushbug is enthusiastic. A necktie, cheeky, it's just what I needed. Woo. And that was the whole comic book, folks. <laughs> As you can hear in our voices and uh, in our crackling uh, throats. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to take a little break for our own benefit, but we'll be back shortly. You'll never even miss us, and we'll tell you more about Ambush Bug and the folks that created him.
colorful meadow full of wildflowers can be a happy place on a summer's day. But if you happen to be an insect who visits those colorful flowers, it can be a deadly place. In this meadow, there were a number of pearly crescent spot butterflies visiting various flowers. I spotted this one on a daisy fleabane flower, but something didn't seem right. Why was it on the underside of the flower head? There's the reason. It's been seized by an ambush bug. Suddenly this yellow jacket wasp appears, and it starts attacking the butterfly too. The yellow jacket repeatedly tears at the wings of the butterfly. The yellow jacket is trying to take the crescent spot as its prey, but the ambush bug isn't willing to give it up. And we're back. Hey. Ooh, still, still a little, uh, still a little bit raspy in the throat. Yeah, I see why uh, Fleming and Giffen didn't want to do forty pages because that's a lot of comic book and. Uh, yeah, it's funny you say styles. Fleming. <laughs> <laughs> very, yeah, very much so. Uh, I don't think they intended this to be done as a uh, teleplay or anything, but uh, <laughs> as an audio drama. I, uh, for me, th this book was one that I got as a kid. What is it, '86, right? So, uh, yeah, I was a ten or eleven, and uh, this really more his uh, the the mini series that preceded it informed so much of my humor, uh, and it was all sort of in a same pocket going on at the time of like you know young ones and monty python sure and, and uh you know just all kind of absurd absurdist yeah. humor like that and this definitely tickled me there but you must you must have picked it up later in life i did i picked it up probably probably within the past 10 years probably uh I uh I didn't discover DC until around the turn of the century and it took me a little while to get so deep where I would <laughs> where I would know what an ambush bug was i guess yeah uh, but I think the first time I actually read this was in the Showcase Presents, oh. um, which uh, I don't remember when that was, maybe 2007-ish. Yeah, I've got that, too. I, I think that's everything in the 80s and early 90s, right? No, yeah, yeah. It goes on. It none, I don't no. think it includes the uh, year none or yeah. anything, but it uh, everything up to that point is in there. And it, it's, it's a great read if you can find it. I think it went out of print just as quick as it came in. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's a hoot. Yeah. Um, but this was a lot of fun. This was a, I, I reviewed this on the blog uh, back in, I want to say July of 2016. So it was my first ever Christmas on Infinite Earths in July. And uh, man, it, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff to cover in this book. <laughs> yep. It's some dense stuff. It's uh, some off the wall, just jumping around. It's very frenetic, uh, but a blast. Uh, and it's, <laughs> it's weird because uh you know, a lot of times when we talk about something or we write about something, it's like, it's like, ah, I just ruined this for everybody. You know, no, they have no reason to read this now because we've already discussed it. But this one, I don't even know if we did it any favors by talking about no, it. No, there's it's, so uh, many visuals. This one you got to see. Yeah, yeah. You, got, you have to see it to really, to really get all the jokes. And what's, what's really weird to me is that uh, this is now I've read this comic probably a dozen times, maybe, sure. maybe many more if I go back to being a kid. I've even read it in modern times. I remember when you did it on your blog, when and we've—that was one of our early discussions. Was even just about yep. ambush bug and stuff. Uh, and I'm still chuckling. I'm still chuckling. Oh yeah, stuff in this book. It's it's the fact that it's still funny. Uh, just shows that that can happen. It doesn't all have to be jokes that are only funny in the moment. Topical references, or yeah. or if they are, they can be broad enough that they can still be funny. Uh, I wouldn't say that you're gonna, uh, you know, laugh as hard as I did when I was ten. 
But uh, <laughs> I say if you if you can find this book, and it shouldn't be too hard, I don't think. Um, sure, it's it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah I, I, you see it laying around. I often see it uh, marked up for like a couple of bucks. Like, hmm. I actually I can't remember the last time I saw any price on it, but I have seen it lying around in the wild. So sure, uh, I recommend it whether it's Christmas or not. Go check this. It'll out. it'll make you lip curl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, let's get into some more ambush bug. Let's finish out his career here. Uh, now uh, ambush bug first appeared as a supervillain in DC Comics Presents number fifty-two. That was covered in December nineteen eighty-two by Paul Kupperberg and Keith Giffen. This was an issue. Uh, you know, DC Comics Presents was a Superman team-up book, right. and in this one, uh, Superman was teaming up with the Doom Patrol, but uh, the pre-Morrison Doom Patrol. Yeah. Is Probably the Copperberg Doom Patrol. That's since, right. Uh, yeah. Since uh, Mr. Copperberg was on it. Now, Ambush Bug is a wacky goofball that can teleport wherever special thrown bugs uh, have been released. Uh, he also kills the mayor. Hey. Uh, Paul Copperberg recalls as Keith. As Keith was in the office, he sat in on the plotting and offered up Ambush Bug as, a, as an antagonist. The bug is entirely Keith's creation. Yeah, Giffen has stated that both Ambush Bug and Lobo, which we also created were derived from Lunatic, a character he created in high school. Uh, in response to positive reader reaction to the character's first appearance, editor Julius Schwartz react directed Giffen to create another ambush bug story for DC Comics Presents number 59, that was July 1983 cover date, written by Paul Levitz and uh, drawn by Keith Giffen. Uh, this is Superman featuring the Legion of Substitute Heroes in this book, and uh, ambush bug wreaks havoc at the Superman Museum, then he's sent to the Phantom Zone. Ambushbug decides to change his tune and would become a hero in Supergirl Volume 2, Number 16. This is February 1984 cover by Kupperberg and Carmine Infantino. Uh, he thinks Supergirl is Superman after being zapped with a sex change ray, and, anno and he annoys her for the issue. Just sort of, you know, he kind of becomes a Mr. Mizzius pitlick ish Yeah, a nice little thorn in the uh, side. Yeah. Uh, Our Man Returns in Action Comics, Number 560. That's an October 1984 cover by Kupperberg and Alan Sevick. Uh, ambush Bug figures out Superman's secret identity and also just creates mischief in Metropolis. Also, Clark has a dream that could be construed as Ambush Bug's secret origin <laughs> if it wasn't Clark just having a dream. So there it is. Yes. <laughs> now, Mr. A Bug is seen again soon after in Action Comics number 600. I'm sorry, 563. This is January 1985, covered by Robert Lauren Fleming and Keith Giffen. While fiddling with one of his drone bugs, Ambush Bug fuses his costume to his body and gains the ability to teleport with the aid of bugs. His suit also turns black, pro pro probably referencing one of the only outcomes of a certain very secretive 12-issue series that ran the yeah, previous so year. That was considered very marvelous, as I recall. <laughs> I, when I covered this one on the blog, I was kind of nervous about including some of the panels because when the suit turns black... He yeah, kind of does too. It looks, it looks a little <laughs> weird, right? Yeah. Now, uh, here, Ambush Bug reveals that his real name is Erwin Schwab, and he tells Superman an origin story that's uh, basically a total ripoff of his own. And Superman flies away, going, That's the stupidest. Oh, wait, that's my that's origin. That's my origin, yeah. <laughs> now, the suit returns to green by the end of the issue. Or at least in the next one, because uh, he faces the DC Comics Trinity in Action Comics number 565. That was March 1995, cover by Fleming and Giffen. Ambush Bug visits Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman in turn, uh, and he fails an attempt to get their endorsement for a miniseries. 
Then old Andy Bug is back to the title that birthed him. DC Comics presents issue 81. This is May 1985 by Fleming and Giffen. This is Superman featuring Ambush Bug. He actually gets co-billing here. Now, after giving Superman a red kryptonite necklace as a peace offering, they switch bodies for 48 hours. And as you might imagine, shenanigans ensue. Oh, it is wacky, but... Ambush Bug got that miniseries. It was self-titled and ran from June 1985 to September 1985 by Fleming and Giffen. Uh, it's a real romp through the DCU. Ambush Bug faces off with Darkseid and gains a new villain, a talking sock named R. Gill, who wears a Doctor Doom mask. He also gets Cheeks the toy wonder in this series, and Cheeks dies at the end. Or does he? As we already learned from his next appearance in the book that we read, Ambush Bug, Stocking Stuffer number one. I wonder if that sock was named Argyle. Hmm, could have been. Mm. <laughs> now, it may be uh, difficult to believe, but Ambush Bug was actually a popular character at this time. Sales were pretty robust for DC, and fan interaction was huge. Despite DC executives' misgivings about the character, he'd get another miniseries, six issues this time, titled Son of Ambush Bug. It ran from July through December 1986 by Fleming and Giffen. This is another romp through the DCU, poking fun and being wacky. Uh, the villain here is the Interferer, a former comic book writer with godlike powers. During a trial, Ambush Bug is found in contempt of comics and gets kicked out of the DCU. But something like that doesn't get a fellow like Ambush Bug down because he pops back during Secret Origin Volume 2, number 48, that's April 1990, by Fleming and Giffen, where he refuses to tell his origin story. <laughs> he would make a small appearance in Justice Leagues, Volume 1, number 2, this is March 2001. This is JLA Justice League of Amazons by Len Kaminsky and Alor Almancio. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Ambush Bug is a member of the Justice League of Anarchy, which also includes Plastic Man, The Creeper, Harley Quinn, Amazing Man, and The Trickster. I, think I wouldn't mind seeing that uh, JL Anarchy show up. Uh, yeah, give that a one shot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's also a member of Firestorm's short lived Justice League of America, as featured in uh, the weekly series 52, number 24. That was December 2006, covered by Jeff Johns, Grant Morrison, Greg Rucka, Mark Wade, Keith Giffen, and Phil Jimenez. Now, after being championed by DC coordinating editor Jan Jones, a new six-issue Ambush Bug miniseries called Ambush Bug Year None debuted in 2008, plotted and penciled by Giffen and written by Fleming, with Jones herself serving as editor. The final issue was published almost a year after the rest of the series, and didn't it actually go like... Seven issues, yeah, like well, seven it, out of six. It'll, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there we go. Then managing editor Dan Tadio claims to have lost issue six, and instead they skipped the finish off with issue seven. Very silly stuff. Uh, Ambush Bug made semi-regular appearances in Doom Patrol Volume 5, beginning in issue number nine, June 2010, cover date, until the series ended with number 22, July 2011 cover, written by Giffen and mostly drawn by Matthew Clark. Ambush Bug would become ba the backup news reporter for the first couple of years of DC's New 52 initiative, which would begin in September 2011. Uh, this fairly well killed all enthusiasm for the character, and it's uh, doubtful at this point that we'll see him anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, he killed my enthusiasm, and I loved the, the guy, but... Uh, yeah, you didn't like Channel 52? I did, did not I? understand <laughs> what was going on in that, what that was supposed to be at all, but it was like, wow, here's a very funny character not being funny at all. Uh, anyway, but he does have some alternate Earth versions. Uh, here's a few of them. In the continuity of Amalgam Comics, that's the Marvel and DC Amalgam Universe, Ambush the Lunatic is a combination of Ambush Bug and Marvel Comics Lunatic, 
an equally insane character also created by Giffen. So sort of blended him from the character yep, that begat him. Yeah. Uh, an intergalactic bounty hunter, his sole appearance is in Lobo the Duck number one, April 1997, by Alan Grant and Val Semeckis. Uh, in Elseworlds Finest, Supergirl and Batgirl from September 1998, by Barbara Kiesel, Matt Haley, and Tom Simmons, a heavily armored ambush bug is a member of a version of the Justice Society of America that's backed by Lex Luthor and led by Wonder Woman. And in the alternate timeline of the 2011 Flashpoint storyline, the Ambush Bugs are a group of insect-themed heroes gathered to fight the Amazons. Their members are Queen Bee, Blue Beetle, Firefly, Cockroach, and Canterbury Cricket. And only the Cricket lives. Yeah, he gets himself a one-shot, too. Uh, and Ambush Bug pops up in Tiny Titans, number 46. This is January 2012 by Art Balthazar and Franco Orleani. I, I just know him as Franco. Yeah. Uh, and in it, he's a, he's a little fella. Uh, now we're going to continue with the creators, and we're going to really tuck in right now to the rest of uh, what we found out about Robert Lauren Fleming. Uh, he's written regularly for, regularly for comics for DC, Archie, and Marvel. He also wrote Cyberpunks number 1, March 1996, a series created by Rob Liefeld, drawn by Ching Lao, and published through Image Comics. A series... That only had one issue, which is not that uncommon, I think, in those days. No, no. And uh, we do hope he is well. We do. We That's do. It. Reach out. We, 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 um, we wish the best for him. <laughs> uh, now we'll wrap up uh, Keith Giffen here. Uh, in February 1986, the Comics Journal published The Trouble with Keith Giffen, an examination of then-recent dramatic changes in Giffen's drawing style. Now, the article pointed out that Giffen had changed from a slick, clean Jim Starlin-esque style to an avant-garde, heavily inked one. The article uh, displayed several panels side-by-side to illustrate the magazine's allegation that Giffen was copying, or swiping, the work of Argentinian cartoonist (laughs) Jose Antonio Munoz. In response, Giffen alluded to the controversy by drawing Ambush Bug with the Peanuts character Snoopy in Son of Ambush Bug number five. This was November 1986. Giffen's frequent collaborator, Robert Lauren Fleming, wrote the dialogue for the scene. The controversy continued, however, when Giffen was accused of swiping Munoz again in the anthology Taboo. In the same interview with Jack Kirby Collector in 2000 that we've referenced for a lot of this Giffen information, he said... Mm -hmm. I had a bad incident with studying somebody's work very closely at one point, and I resolved never, ever to do it again. I can get so immersed in somebody's work that I start turning into a Xerox machine, and it's not good. There was no time I was sitting there tracing and copying, no. Duplicating, pulling out of memory, and putting down on paper after intense study, absolutely. In 1986, Giffen was one of the most popular comic book artists in the industry, but this ensuing controversy hurt Giffen's reputation. He returned to drawing full-time two years later while continuing to plot the Justice League and its numerous spin-offs. This period also marked Ambush Bug's demise as a popular major character at DC. According to Giffen, it had to do with editorial discomfort with the series' humorous approach to the DC universe. He said, DC was just too uncomfortable with the admittedly nicely selling bully pulpit they provided the loose cannons on the creative team. Now, Keith Giffen co-created the humorous Justice League International series in 1987 with J.M.D. Mateus and Kevin McGuire that began May 1987. Uh, this is that Bwahaha era that uh, folks uh, look to with a 
fondness. That's right. Uh, <laughs> now, the success of that series led to a spinoff in 1989 called Justice League Europe that was also co-written by DiMatteis and featured art by Bart Sears. Now, the Giffen DiMatteis team worked on Justice League for five years and closed out their run with Breakdowns. It was a very long storyline in uh, 1991 and 1992. Uh, the two writers and McGuire would reunite in 2003 for the formerly known as the Justice League miniseries and in 2005 for its sequel. I can't believe it's not the Justice League that was published in JLA Classified. Keith has worked on titles owned by several different companies, including Woodgod, All-Star Comics, Drax the Destroyer, Heckler, which was created by him, Nick Fury's Howling Commandos, Reign of the Zodiac, Suicide Squad, Trencher, which was through Image Comics, Thunder Agents, and Vexed, another character created by Giffen. He was responsible for the English adaptation of the Battle Royale and Iki Tausen manga. Uh, for Battle Royale, Giffen was given the ability to tweak, or in the words of editor uh, Mark Panicia, Giffenize the script. Uh, Giffen knew that a straight translation wouldn't work for such a project and add the elements leading to an arguably looser adaptation based on the event taking place during a reality show sponsored by the Japanese government. This is why so many folks feel as though The Hunger Games is a straight-up ripoff of Battle Royale, despite writer Suzanne Collins claiming never to have heard of BR, likely story. Mm-hmm. Giffen also worked for Dark Horse from 1994 to 1995 on their comics' greatest world, Dark Horse Heroes line, as the writer of two short-lived series, Division 13, and co-author with Lovern Kinzierski of Agents of Law. Now, for Valiant Comics, Giffen wrote Exo Manowar, Magnus, Robot Fighter, Punks, and the final issue of Solar, Man of the Atom. He took a break from the comic industry for several years, working on storyboards for television and film, including shows such as The Real Ghostbusters and Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Giffen returned to the team that began his career, The Defenders. This is for Volume 3. And that ran for five issues, September 2005 through January 2006, along with his uh, JLA partners, uh, DiMatteis and McGuire. Giffen later confessed concerning his 1970s run. He says, back then I was the kind of moron that I now warn new guys about becoming. When I think of Defenders, I think of what it could have been had a, if I had an ounce of professionalism in my body at that time. That's very, very wise, very wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, Giffen was the breakdown artist on DC Comics title 52, the weekly May t- 2006 to May 2007 covers. Uh, that, was, like I said, was a weekly series following in the wake of the Infinite Crisis crossover written by Jeff Johns, Greg Rucka, Mark Wade, and Grant Morrison. He continued that role with the follow-up weekly, which was counting down to Final Crisis. Keith Giffen was the lead writer for Marvel Comics' Annihilation event, that was November 2005 to May 2007, having written the one-shot prologue, the lead-in stories in Thanos and Drax, The Silver Surfer, as well as the main six-issue miniseries. He wrote the Star-Lord miniseries for the follow-up story, Annihilation Conquest. That's back when nobody knew who Star-Lord was. Uh, now, <laughs> between 2005 and 2007, he co-created and often authored or co-authored independent comics such as Ten, Tag, and Hero Squared for Boom Studios, and I Love Halloween for Tokyopop, Common Foe, and T- Tabula Rasa for Desperado Publishing slash Image Comics, and Grunts for Arcana. Uh, many of these were co-authored with uh, Shannon Denton. In uh, 2008, Giffen wrote an eight-issue series, Rain in Hell, 
This was September 2008 through April of 2009, uh, penciled by Tom Derenick and inked by Bill Sienkiewicz. This is about DC Comics magic, demon characters, and right. falling asleep and thinking about it. <laughs> oh, <No>. poor Blaze. <laughs> the Blaze Satanus. <laughs> um, now, the Giffen, DiMatteis, Maguire trio would also produce the Metal Men backup that, uh, that appeared in uh, the Doom Patrol uh, Volume 5 series. Uh, Giffen co-wrote OMAC Volume 4 with Dan DiDio, drawn by Scott Collins as part of the new 52 company-wide relaunch until its cancellation with issue number 8, that was June 2012 cover. In October 2011, he became the writer of Green Arrow from issues 4 to 6. And Giffen returned with J.M. Demetrius on Justice League 3000 series. Howard Porter drew that. Howard, Howard Porter drew that. Uh, launched in October 2013, ending in March 2015 as Justice League 3001. In 2014, he and Jeff Lemire, Dan Jurgens, and Brian Azzarello co-wrote the weekly series The New 52, Future's End. That same year, Giffen and Dan DiDio reunited on Infinity Man and the Forever People that had nine issues, August 2014 through May 2015. As of this recording, most recently, he contributed to the Commandi Challenge, and uh, we think that he wrote the uh, current volume of Blue Beetle, right? It, did he? I think it's him. I, I, I didn't check. Maybe it was a maybe it was a robot with his name or something. But uh, uh, it's not. I, it's I, not great. Um, <laughs> speaking of great, though, Keith Giffen did receive an Inkpot Award in 1991. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't deny the man's uh, resume. Pedigree. You know, the pedigree yes. is very real. He's been around a long time, and you know, you see a lot of what he does is plotting. Sure. Uh, I think I and think it's a lot storyboards, of storyboards. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a lot of the nuts and bolts, you know, background work. I mean, I gotta say, to be the one plotter on the fifty-two weekly, even the countdown. Sure. Uh, you know, which wasn't as good it's of a lot series. Of, it's still a lot of work. It's a yeah. lot of work. You know what I mean? And a lot of a lot of moving Layouts pieces to and, shuffle mm-hmm. around. Sure. So uh, gotta give it up to him. Uh, you know, his most recent work has never grabbed me the way Ambush Bug did. Or his, his work from that time, but I, maybe I changed, he changed, the times have changed. Who knows, folks? But uh, if you want to talk about Keith Giffen, or you want to tell us how you've changed, or you want to wish us a merry, merry Christmas. In March. In March, you can write to us at <laughs> weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cosmic t-mail history. Uh, we're on Twitter at cosmic t-mail, and I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. You can see our weekly writings over at WeirdScienceDCComics.com, and you can see Chris's daily writings at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com, where he reviews a new DC, a different DC comic, not new, in fact, quite old, some of them, uh, <laughs> but a different DC comic every single day of the week, now going on for something like 832 weeks, I think, consecutively. Uh, a long, long time. Every day. So, yeah, he's been uh, gunning for to do uh, 100 action comics that we try to do. Uh- 100 Issues Action Comics before, before Action Comics 1000. Before 1000, and uh, it's got 30-plus to go, so I expect to see a lot of action comics come out of that blog. <laughs> they're, they're but, the uh, yep. you know, it, it, it's still, you're running all kinds of stuff uh, on the blog all the time, and it's great. The, the insights are awesome, a lot of good uh, images of the panels of the, of the comic, and plus the ads at the end. I'll tell you folks, it's the next best thing to reading the comic. 
<laughs> we also have our uh, show site here at weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com where we uh, put up our show notes, some images, uh, where we link to all of the places you can find us. Uh, I, I even inc- embedded the YouTube video this time around, so right. it's uh, it's there, and you can click on it and uh, find us and all that good stuff. Ooh, that's exciting stuff. Plus, that is isn't it? That is where you can go to find our episodes of Weird Comics History and Cosmic Treadmill chronologically, which is absolutely something you cannot do on the podcast feeds. No, uh, you know it's something we've I've never mentioned before, but every Wednesday at seven PM Eastern, I play three hours of funk, rap, and other music on Mixler.com slash Weird Science DC, and on YouTube.com. Do a search for Weird Comics History, one word. That's your best bet because the link is uh, crazy. Right now, very jarbly, yes. Yeah, until until we get our million subscribers, exactly. So, yeah, so give that a couple of weeks. Head yeah. over there, subscribe to us, and you know something we never mentioned, Chris is, uh, you know, we do get reviews on iTunes and stuff. Good reviews. Oh yeah. Good. Uh, thank you so much, everybody. Absolutely. We, we uh, forget to solicit. We forget to thank. We're not good at that kind of thing, but we really do appreciate yeah, it. <laughs> uh, we're, yeah, we're really not good at it, but uh, we we have seen it. Thank you very much. If you feel compelled to rate and review wherever you find us, then please indulge yourselves. That would be terrific. But uh, I think that's all we got for him this week, Chris. You got anything else for him? I think that'll do it. Well, until next week, folks, I want you to keep it on the treadmill buggishly. See you. Strange days have fallen on.